Well, first of all, Glenn, I want to thank you so much for being on our NASA Edge show finally after, you know, 12 plus years uh, of doing the show. Um, you know, Farzine did a great job explaining what NDL is all about. Kind of take us back to the beginnings of, of the NDL days. How did this start? All right. Well, thank you for having uh, me. Uh, we really appreciate that you guys are spending time uh, getting to know about NDL and learning about it and um, sharing this with the public. Um, we, we've been working on NDL for a long time. Um, probably order, on the order of 10 to 15 years. Right. Um, the idea kind of started in Farzine's mind. Uh, uh, he came up with this concept of, uh, of taking these kind of measurements with this kind of instrumentation. Um, and we built up the first prototypes of this, if you want to call them those, uh, brass boards, breadboards, prototypes, over a few years. And that was with uh, Langley's engineering support. Um, we had good visionary leaders, We've had visionary, good visionary leaders throughout the years, um, um, seeing that you know we've got a concept here that could have some potential uh, for the future. Um, and so lab money was uh, uh, given out to help him and his team, small team at the time, get started. Um, a project called Owl Hat came along back in around 2005 and 2006. Um, and uh, Cheryl Epp was the project manager at the time. Um, he and the folks at down at Johnson, he was down at Johnson Space Flight Center. He and his colleagues um, kind of put um, NDL as part of the AWHAT suite. So AWHAT stands for Autonomous Landing and Hazard Avoidance Technologies. It was a um, joint um, multi-center uh, project. Langley was involved, Johnson was involved, um, um, uh, JS, um, JSC, um, JPL was involved. Uh, a lot of guys from Draper and different commercial industry uh, partners were involved with this. So, um, uh, Owl Hat, for Langley's portion of Owl Hat, we developed the sensor suite. It was three sensors we built under it. Uh, one was the laser altimeter, one was the flash LIDAR, and the navigation Doppler LIDAR. So, at the time, it was a breadboard, like I said. Uh, Owl Hat gave us a little bit of funding. It was a very small percentage of the Owl Hat budget. Um, uh, it it uh, probably on the order of five to ten percent, but it was a very small part of it, uh, and we were able to take it from um, um, this breadboard concept into an instrument that was almost flyable. So um, it started off about on our hat, uh, about the size of I would say uh, a small refrigerator. Oh wow! <laughs> and it was a tall rack mount unit. Um, we flew it on um, uh, helicopters at the time. Okay. Um, we uh, had a test flight on the Ericsson Sky Crane. Yes, yeah, I was going to say, you have, remember that sky, <laughs> pictures of yes, the Sky Crane? Yes. Yeah. And that's quite an environment to fly in. There's a lot of vibration there, and, um, and it was out in the hot desert and it had cooling issues and all. Um, and then uh, the next big, I would say, the big stage, uh, incremental stage of improvement, we shrunk that big rack down to a 19 inch rack uh, about the size of a briefcase a large briefcase, but a briefcase. Um, and at the time, the Owlhead project was transitioning those technologies, um, uh, the sensors, and I should also add the other parts of Owlhead, all the guidance navigation control algorithms and the hazard detection and avoiding algorithms that go with the flash. Um, we transitioned those technologies onto what Johnson um, uh, was flying was a, a rocket-powered landing system. So we did a bunch of helicopter tests, we did a bunch of uh, aircraft tests, and then we put all these technologies on a rocket-powered lander. Was that, that was, was that Morpheus? And that was okay. Morpheus, yeah. And we started doing testing with them probably around 2012, 2013 time frame. In 2014, 
Yeah. Uh, we did a closed loop uh, landing at the Kennedy Space Center where the rocket effectively took off by itself um, at the Kennedy Landing Center, uh, Strip, um, went up, uh, viewed and found a safe site on a hazard field that we had built down at the end of the runway yeah. and landed itself all by itself. So NDL was a, a central and critical um, sensor for that to happen. Um, another big thing that grew out of that though was um, the data that was produced by NDL was nearly perfect. And it convinced the guidance, navigation, and control engineers that have been used to using radars as their sensor of data suite, uh, looking at that kind of data. It convinced them that, hey, this is really not just a back of the napkin lab kind of thing. This is something that is a really cool, viable instrument that we should use. And I really think that was what was the impetus, the catalyst to keep us moving forward to where we are today. Uh, that data set was, uh, was really good. Um, um, so after we, uh, that was pretty much the end of the Alhat project at the, um, after Morpheus landed successfully. Uh, but um, some other visionaries, again, uh, a lot of folks at Langley, uh, some of our partners at JSC, John Carson, uh, Cheryl Epp, Ed Robinson, uh, Michelle Monk here, um, folks like yourself also mm -hmm. involved in this, helped us to keep this program going. And uh, we eventually took the box that was the size of a suitcase, shrunk it down to about the size of a toaster. Um, and then we flew that on a, a couple of, on a vehicle called a Maston. It was another rocket part vehicle back in uh, 2015, 2016. Uh, and then after that, okay, people say, okay, this, uh, people have seen it work in multiple environments. Um, we convinced the user community to say this is a viable instrument. And uh, we've been blessed with the opportunity to now say, hey, folks in that community have said, this, let's use this now for future landings right. on, in space. And um, what we've been developing since then is called an engineering test unit. And that's to take that toaster-sized box and make it rugged, and durable enough to fly in space for the future space flight missions we have coming up. And then that box, the current configuration now, will be the yeah. one that will fly on clips? Yes. In a couple exactly, of years. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So um, the progression that I talked about going from big, size of a refrigerator down to the size of a uh, small toaster, um, that is very important for, for space flight. Mass is king when going to space. You've got to get things as small as you can. And that shrinkage took us a long time. We didn't have directed funding to do that over those years, so we got very creative in, in keeping this thing uh, funded to do that, again, with the leadership's uh, vision. But um, that was critical to its success now. It is small enough to fly uh, on not only huge human-sized landers that will be coming, but also for even autonomous, small robotic vehicles that we'll be using now. What would you say was probably the, the, the biggest engineering challenge that you had from the beginning to where the c current configuration is now, mm, over the 10 to 15 years? What um, stumped you the most? The, well, there's kind of two to three sides of that, that, that uh, response uh, to that kind of question. Uh, I, one of them um, is not even an engineering thing. It's, 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 it's the politics, it's the programmatic thing. Right. You know, keeping um, keeping interest in an idea 
over that long a period of time. It's very unusual. I mean, right. Most of the time, a lot of projects at NASA last three to five years right. from concept to flight. This went from concept, hopefully, to space flight over about a 15-year period. And how do you keep somebody interested in that kind of work? You've got to have people, I think that's why I emphasize multiple times, you know, people that uh, uh, are invested in this for the long haul. It takes, it takes people like Farzine to have the perseverance to see this through for that longer period of time. Uh, oftentimes people move on to other things. His vision was, has been able to take this um, uh, and just blood, sweat, and tears <laughs> over the years to uh, get it there. Um, the engineering side, there are a ton of technical challenges. From, from the NDL's perspective, the biggest one, I think, from the box perspective, was the computing system. So when we first started building this thing, um, you can get the optics, and you can get the, the power control electronics things going. But the key to this thing is, are the complex real-time processing algorithms that drive um, what this thing does. So um, you got a laser system going on, you're collecting all this data. And in the past, for our first few flights even, we would collect it and do our processing offline after it got back to the ground. Can't do that in a real mission. We had to have the brains and the processing engine of this thing shrunk down and be able to work inside the box. And we're doing a lot of uh, high-speed FFTs, 64K point FFTs inside of the box, nine of them all in real time. And we were able to build a custom board in-house that we started off with COTS, but right. first we had nothing. Then we built an implementation of it using COTS commercial off-the-shelf uh, computers. Right computer like you get it to wherever, Dell, wherever. Um, you can put that in a box. You okay, put I'm that in 64? a box. Not no, quite no, 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 okay. <laughs> A little bit <laughs> slow for that. But uh, some of the PC-104 stacks, it was still some pretty complex processing on that. And then we decided if we really want to do this, um, we built a custom board here. And some of our engineers here were able to shrink that board down and to fit it in. And it, that is the forcing function, the footprint that drives the footprint of the box we have now. Um, we have some actual inefficiencies that we found as we built the box now, so there is room for improvement in even what we have now. I mentioned Cheryl Lepp a little while ago. One of his um, goals back 10 years ago, he told us we were standing around at one of the test flights. He was like, hey, that NDL thing, I want to see it the size of a Coke can one day. And um, I think we can get there uh, wow. if we, as we continue to advance our technologies. We, um, there's a lot of space in the box now that we could do in, in a different way to make it, to optimize it better. Um, and, um, and over time, I think that we could get there. You think you can get there by the time we get to Mars? Maybe from Mars. If we do Mars sample return, we, if that is one of the missions we support, we could perhaps get it, at least maybe half the side. We, maybe it'll be a six pack of cocaine <laughs> <laughs> instead of one. So one final question. Uh, yeah. So a couple years from now, when, yeah. when the, the first clips landers, yes. uh, uh, take off and they're they're heading towards the lunar surface and they're on yeah. descent. Yeah. And your NDL is uh, activated. Yes. Where do you think you and Farzine will be? <laughs> I, 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 we will both be in a very happy state. I will say <laughs> that it will be um, uh, that will be a a, a vision uh, fulfilled. Uh, uh, I've mentioned that this working on this project for me personally has been a true blessing. You know, these are once in a career lifetime opportunities to come along. There's not too many people in the world that say they can put stuff something on the moon. 
And even within NASA, there's not too many people that can say that they put something on the moon successfully, um, um, and um, and or Mars. And uh, I'm quite sure that when um, when we put the first successful landers down, we will both be extremely happy uh, campers somewhere. I'm sure we'll. I, I've joked with him and uh, some of our other teammates. Um, uh, Mike Sosesky is the current project manager, um, and he's done a great job getting us. Uh, uh, into the box that we uh, are, are moving forward with now. Um, he's done a great job supporting this. Uh, I've joked with, with both of them saying, you know, we're going to uh, sit back and we need to write a book about this project. You know, over the last 10, 15 years, we've got a lot of, we can write a technical book, a lot of lessons learned. We can write a lot of uh, life lessons books uh, about time and sacrifice that it takes to get you know, something to this nature. It takes a full discipline suite of, uh, a full suite of disciplined engineers to, to build something like this. You know, you've got electrical engineers, you've got structural right. folks doing work, you've got uh, mechanical guys designing, uh, folks designing the box, guys and girls designing the box. You've got uh, thermal engineers uh, analyzing how it's going to get this heat out. Uh, you've got people in the fab shop building up the components of it to make it good. All these people uh, right. uh, um, putting this thing together. It, it, it's, it's, a, it's a true team. And it won't just be us celebrating. It'll be all of us celebrating to make sure that we, this thing is, when we see that this thing is successful. Well, Glenn, I, I hope uh, when you first deliver that, that, that final you know, box to, to the Quips uh, yes. companies, that yeah. your team etches their names inside the box <laughs> so that when it lands on the surface, you know that your we, hardware made it. We uh, actually, we talked about that <laughs> one of the meetings. We're going to probably, uh, uh, we talked about markers at first. No, they made out gas. Let's put in some etching, put everybody's name in. I'll probably put my beautiful wife and the kids' name in there also if I get the room too. Uh, and it's part of the sacrifice I mentioned before. You know, it's not just the people on the team. It's the families that support folks getting there. We spend a lot of long hours right. trying to make sure that this thing works. And it's a family sacrifice to get something of this nature uh, flying. And so, yeah, so I'll probably put those names in also. Uh, I'm going to sneak them in on the, on the top panel. <laughs> Very so, good. So, yeah, yeah, we're looking forward to that moment. It'll be coming around the corner. 2021 is right around the corner mm -hmm. for us. Time is flying by so fast. We've got a ton of work to do. We've got, um, uh, uh, as far as he talked about our, what we're building now, it's called an engineering unit. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we're in the process of today of, of, of environmentally testing that box. Um, uh, we've got, um, we did a vibration test of it. We're, gonna, we're doing a thermal vacuum test of it right now. We're going to do an EMI, electromagnetic mm -hmm. uh, interference and compatibility test of it. Uh, and we've done a bunch of functional tests of it. We took it out to the Langley Air Force Base uh, two weeks ago to do some long range tests on the runway there. The fact that NASA and the, and the Air Force Base are working hand in hand in coordination of those kind of activities. Uh, it's great, you know, uh, and it's great that we have that facility right next to us to be right. able to leverage. Uh, and that is the, one of the few clear runway uh, areas in, uh, in Virginia that you can get a 4,000-meter uh, uh, four, uh, clear right. path. You right. know. It's very, not too many areas you can do that, so that allows us to do some testing there. So all of those tests um, are going on right now through this ETU that we're building. And... Um, we will um, hopefully button it up. The second one that we build in, in early next year, we're going to take that and fly that second one right. on the Blue Origin vehicle. 
uh, go exoatmospheric and come back in. We'll get a lot of data up and going down, and that'll be 2020. And then in 2020, we'll also later in 2020, we'll deliver these next two units right. to, to, uh, to our commercial partners right. for 2021 flights. So, Well, Glenn, thank you so much for uh, sharing the NDL technology, and we look forward to that, that first landing on the moon. Oh, me too. Thanks, man. Appreciate it, Chris. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank All you. right. <laughs>